Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Being ready for the holiday season is absolutely critical for your stores or Amazon success. That's why Capital Advance from today's sponsor, Payoneer, could be exactly what you need. Capital Advance gives you working capital to spend on anything that helps you grow your business. Use it to buy more inventory or more advertising or whatever you want. Offers feature a single fixed fee and a gradual settlement plan. Just go to payoneer.com forward slash capital for a free consultation with a working capital expert today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is the 10K Collective, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers. And I'm your host, Michael Vizi. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that Amazon sellers often want to become not Amazon sellers, or rather they want to get off Amazon in addition to Amazon rather than just off Amazon, I think. And to help us with that, we've got Chris Scrimgoer from Pioneer Customer Success Team. Chris is the head of customer success, which is another word for an account manager, I think. And Pioneer is a platform for small and medium businesses to send and receive payments, but also they offer a lot of other services alongside that and helping you run and expand your business globally online. So exciting topic. Chris, welcome to the show. Hello, Michael. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. My pleasure. So where are you coming to us from today? Uh, So right now I'm in the the Northeast, so a place called Stockton-on-Tees. So yeah, I came back uh, a couple of weeks ago for my mother's birthday and I seem to have been stuck here now. So yeah, until lockdown's uh, over, I'll be back to London in a couple of weeks. But yeah, for now, I'm, I'm residing up here. Lovely. Well, yeah, the Northeast famously often used for call centres because people love the, the accents. It's <laughs> so friendly. So uh, yeah. reputation for, for great friendliness there. How do you think I got into account management? You know, Is that right? <laughs> yeah, because you got that lovely, friendly manner. Yeah, very unthreatening. So the Northeast of England, we should say, for our international listeners, because a lot of people are in America. So Northeast of England um, and anywhere in England, and I use the term advisedly, I don't mean the UK, is locked down right now officially, except as we were discussing, Chris, it's not highly locked somehow. Is it? It's not lockdown, lockdown. It's kind of semi-lockdown, I guess. It's, it's certainly not like what we had in, in March. I think people are a little bit more relaxed. People are a bit more used to it as well now. And, and people, are, I suspect, are a little bit more lax when it comes to the rules. Could be, couldn't it? Yeah. So uh, I guess still, however, we're in the, the world of e-commerce in 2020. So we're talking in late 2020 here and where e-commerce has exploded because obviously a lot of shops are still shut. They certainly are around near me, apart from the shishi bakeries, which seem to be doing great business. But anything selling more sort of hard goods that we'd traditionally be able to sell online is definitely shut. And therefore, e-commerce is exploding and Amazon is part of that. But today we're going to talk about diversifying away from Amazon. And specifically, I guess there are different ways of diversifying. We're, we're talking about different sales channels so i'm going to ask the usual dumb question but it's always worth asking in my opinion why should we even bother with this it's obviously going to be a lot more work amazon does a great job for us in a lot of ways um, why do we need to bother diversifying yeah so i, I think that the, the diversification from amazon is probably like the one question i get asked the most when i speak to uh, customers at Payoneer. I, I think there's that they there's generally an over-reliance on Amazon. I think people are 
are aware that they, you know, in many cases, their their eggs are all in in one basket. So to have a diverse, diversification off Amazon, it certainly de-risks your business. But I think in addition to this, you obviously have much higher margins if you can either sell through your own, let's say, through your own website, or if you're if you're selling through multiple marketplace channels. Effectively, you're in a situation where if you do have a problem with that with Amazon, you know that you've got other channels that you can rely on. And I think also, if one day your aspiration is to to actually sell your business, your business will be more more valuable if you're if you're selling across multiple uh, multiple channels. Yeah, those are really very solid arguments, and I, I guess that a lot of people, if they've been around the block for a while, will have be aware of these. But it's worth just reconsidering the basics, I think, because they're very, very powerful reasons. They're not just little ones. I mean, de-risking is a really, really key thing, obviously. And as you say, the flip side of lower risk is higher multiples for your business, possibly, and also diversification is one way to de-risk anything, right? It's, I guess it's the classic investment yeah. philosophy. Look, and, I, and I think there's there's been cases where we've spoken to our customers. They've had their businesses completely taken down over false counterfeit claims. They've had resellers that are stealing their listings and ruining their brand reputations with Amazon. And, you know, they, they tell me these stories and they're, they're kicking themselves. They're, they're kind of saying, I, I, well, I wish I, I wish at some stage I, I, I diversified onto other platforms and I'd still have a business right now, as opposed to the current situation where, you know, they're, they're, they're running into problems with Amazon and they're, they're you know, all of their all of their sales are through Amazon and they're, you know, they're, they're running on nothing. And, and I guess the other thing to say is just from the practical survival point of view that you just pointed out, I guess that you don't necessarily need to have a huge amount of business going through other channels because it's not easy to replicate Amazon anywhere else. But even if it's enough just to kind of cover some of your overheads, then it gives you a much, much more chance of surviving a three-month lockdown from Amazon. When I say lockdown, I, I guess being, you know, account suspension, which can happen, right? It's get, They're getting better at reinstating people, but they're quicker to fire as well, I think, than ever. So, okay. So we're convinced by the idea of getting off Amazon. So how do we even know what marketplaces are even out there? I mean, there's lots of options. Give us some of the, the flavor of some of the things you guys have connections with. Yes, yeah, so I, I think, look, in, in terms of how you, how you find other marketplaces, well, you could, you could sit there and you could do some desk research. You could go through the, you know, the papers online and the, the various kind of industry uh, platforms we have, which do detail various marketplaces. I think it can be a bit daunting for sellers. In fact, I know this, like I've spoken to it too enough. Like they tell me it's a bit daunting. You know, they come to me and they say, well, there's, there's 50 marketplaces here. How do I, you know, where do I begin? Where do I, where do I start? And, and, and for me, the advice I always try to give them is, okay, it depends on what your aspirations are. It depends on what your current capability is. You know, if you're an Amazon UK seller doing all of your inventory, through through spreadsheets with no kind of language or global logistics, I, I probably wouldn't recommend expanding onto a marketplace in, in, in Latin America, for example. So I, I think the key is just try to understand upfront and at first exactly what are the aspirations and, and what's possible with the, the with, with, with what's available with you at the moment. You know, like uh, one man one man seller can only do so much. You only have so much so much time available to themselves. Very sensible. Yeah. So it's a question of where you want to go and, and what's possible right now. So that makes a lot of sense. And mm. yeah, it is pretty daunting. So how do we deal with this 
the next stage then okay assuming that you've got an idea of your aspiration is to say you know be a multi-channel seller and to sell out your business in a few years time for a nice healthy exit but at the yeah. moment you, you know you only got you say you're selling in amazon.com yeah. and amazon uk what would you decide next how would you decide where the right fit marketplaces are which ones to actually go for next yeah so i think for for us it, it tends to be the the, the same few questions that will come up over and over again. So, so typically when we start talking about your marketplace channels, we'll, we'll ask about the logistics. So what's the kind of existing logistics setup? Do they have their own fulfillment? Do they use Amazon, for example? What kind of products they're selling and what are the average selling price? We'll typically look at how many SKUs they've got as well. And so obviously some marketplaces... They have certain minimum requirements in terms of the number of SKUs. We we'll, we look at the the onboarding, and in, in some cases we have some customers that have quite complex kind of listings management software. But in other cases, and I think it was your point a couple of weeks ago last time we spoke, like some people are just using spreadsheets, very basic Excel spreadsheets. And, and what we try to do is we, we we try to understand, you know, on the back of this, how complex is a seller, and we'll try to make a recommendation. To, to kind of fit marketplaces depending on their their, their, their level of complexity in, in their operations at the moment. Interesting. So logistics, products, and then the, the requirements and onboarding process for the marketplaces. So you've mentioned a couple of times the sort of inventory management side. So yeah. what do we need to have in place? I mean, I guess this is going to be very varied depending on the different marketplaces, but what would you say is the minimum you need to have in place to do this? And what, what then another question would be, what's the sort of typical thing you need yeah. in place to do this? So let's start with the minimum, the least frightening question. What's the minimum you need in place to, to manage your inventory <laughs> across more than one marketplace? So, so truthfully, we, we still have uh, successful sellers, successful customers that are still using spreadsheets. And, you know, they've said to me, yeah, I've been, I've been pitched by every vendor out there. And to be honest, Chris, I, I don't know why I would pay for this. I'm happy doing it myself. I'm completely comfortable with spreadsheets. It doesn't need to be any more automated than it is at the moment. So I'm not, I'm not changing. And, and, and look, I guess the truth of it is, if that works for them, then absolutely understand it. It's not a problem. You can still expand to, to multiple channels if you're using, using simple spreadsheets. And, and, and we've seen successful cases of this. Then I, I look at the other end. And if I think of some of the customers, and, and let's think of so Penny as a, a big customer base in, in China, an enterprise in China, let's just say they have, I don't know, 2,000 people. So it's a, you know, it's a large, large company. For these guys, they may be using some kind of sophisticated ERP, so enterprise resource planning, which covers a, a broad range of their business activities. You know, it'll cover cash flow, raw materials, production, uh, manufacturing, accounting, everything basically payroll that you know the, the entire um, uh, the entire business management. I, again, I don't think that's necessarily a requirement for, for some of our UK customers, but I, I do think if you are using like a, a kind of e-commerce software that allows you to to run your order management, your listings management, your inventory management, it can make things easier because typically these software providers have integrations with multiple marketplaces and you just need to keep one centralized record of you know of your orders your listings your inventory 
So it stops you overselling products. It stops you having to relist products. And, and, and generally, it, it kind of automates your, you know, automates your business. And then also from there, you can start to pull out some detailed reporting and, and, and kind of analytics, which again, should help you kind of optimize your, optimize your business. Okay, so just to kind of feedback my understanding, the minimum you need is possibly just spreadsheets if you're comfortable with that. And it's possible to do that. It sounds like at some point you're going to have to change that. On the really massive scale, you've got this ERP, so Enterprise Resource Planning Systems, right? If you say that covers everything like raw materials, payroll, accounting, that's obviously... Most people listening probably don't own Chinese factories, although there are a few Chinese <laughs> listeners, but I'm not sure they, they own factories. But it sounds yeah. like the sort of middle ground for, for most people that's getting up from just spreadsheets is having an, a system that will run listings, run inventory and stock management kind of from one place. And have you got any ideas who, who the sort of people would be that you might recommend that do that sort of thing? As I know you guys have lots of very useful partners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, so, so, so Channel Advisor is a pretty well-known yeah, software provider. American-based software provider, but very active in the in the UK. Lindworks is another um, provider you can look at. Typically, there's you know there's costs for for these providers. There are free versions as well if you, if you want to look on, on online. But but typically, a good place to start would be the the, the Pioneer kind of partner partner portal, where where we've got we've got our partners listed. And usually you get some kind of discount if you sign up using the Payoneer link. So yeah, that's probably what I'd, what I'd recommend. And then you can choose one based on, or maybe you can speak to a couple and choose one based on, on, on what you want to pay and what you think you'll get out of it. Yeah, what I think is interesting, and, and look, obviously you're from Payoneer and you're going to big up their services and that's your job. But what I think is a valid reason for people to consider something like that is this, that Tim Ferriss put it back in, in the four-hour work week way back in the day when he was running things at a much, much smaller scale than we're discussing today, I guess. But he said, like, you don't att- assemble an architecture of strangers because there'll be mistakes. One of the nice things if Payoneer, and obviously payments is a key part of, if you like, the plumbing of your business. If the payment side integrates, or at least they're talking to each other with the, the ERP or, or the inventory management side that's at least a reassuring bit of a connection right so i think that's that's going to make sense to me so coming back to then okay the the questions of of how to do it we we still we talked about how do you decide what marketplaces are a good fit logistics the products onboarding processes coming back to then we talked about logistics a bit or or stock management i suppose specifically mm-hmm. what about the decisions around products then the kind the sales prices skews how do we navigate that in choosing a marketplaces yeah so i think one of the i guess one of the common mistakes that we've seen in the past is people or you know sellers try sellers hearing about a certain marketplace maybe they've been on a webinar or back in the days when there used to be conferences maybe maybe they've been to, to one of the one of the events and, and had spoken to someone from a marketplace Who'd kind of sold them, you know, sold them, sold them the dream of it's it's going to be the next Amazon in in that local country. And actually, really, what you find out is you you, you invest a lot of time in in kind of getting onto the platform, going live, and you find that your products are just the wrong fit for for the wrong marketplace. And I think you know every marketplace has not necessarily niches, but they have product categories that that fare better than than other product categories. So 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 one of the you know one of the things I always tell people is you know let, let's kind of let's let's run through a couple of marketplaces together and what we absolutely don't want you to do is is waste your time trying to list in a marketplace where you never where your product's never going to sell and 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 i think we, without having you know maybe someone to speak to at the marketplace or 
maybe I guess we're fortunate, Penny, because because we have such a breadth of customers, we actually know what products sell well on the marketplaces. We have the data, and we can stop people burning time on, on marketplaces where their products are just are not not a good fit. Great. And uh, could you give some examples? I mean, I'm not saying give me examples of of marketplaces that that are trying to sell people into a dream that doesn't fit i don't mean it that way <laughs> but if you could give an example of uh, marketplaces that's really great for certain types of products and and yeah. t- and and would be bad for x type of products can you give me yeah, one I mean, or two examples yeah sure so, so let's use let's use wayfair for example so it's a wayfair um uh, huge e-commerce platform big presence in the us canada the uk and germany i think in in, in europe so when I think of when I think of uh, Wayfair and they are part of the the, the the kind of part of the program, when I think of Wayfair, it is predominantly home products that, that that will sell. What I wouldn't be doing is you know trying to get a computer seller or a you know a sportswear seller to to list their products on, on on Wayfair. It's just it's just not the right fit. It's not the audience for their for their for their target market. So yeah, I think this is this is this is certainly a, an example where people. Maybe see the Wayfair adverts on on they're on TV now in the UK. People perhaps see the adverts and think, yeah, it seems like a channel I can expand my business onto. But if their if their products are, are not a good fit, it's just it's just absolutely not worth worth investing. And then maybe you look at so another one of the marketplaces we were speaking with um, early today. If you look at there's a marketplace in Germany called uh, Real Real it is, and they are the German marketplace, particularly strong in kind of home and living, consumer electronics, DIY, garden products, kitchen and household. And I would say to anybody, you know, if if you're if you're already selling into these categories, if you're already able to ship into Germany, and obviously we have a lot of as in Germany is very popular with, with a lot of our customers. If you're already able to handle returns in Germany, have German product content customer service in German, I think it's a great marketplace for you to kind of use what you've already built on, on Amazon, but expand it onto another channel. That's great. And what I think is very helpful is you flagged up the fact that just because we got used to the idea that Amazon is the everything store and it's kind of the everything store in most countries. I guess it would be more nuanced if you're looking in Amazon, Sweden or Netherlands, for example, where because it's just starting out, there'll be some categories that would really be very viable and some not. But what you're pointing out is, I guess, that most marketplaces in the world have a sort of bias towards one type of product and away from others. And, And I guess that's kind of as soon as you say it, it sounds really obvious but it's just that we got so used to the amazon being the everything store we've forgotten that once they just sold books and you wouldn't yeah. send a, an iphone in iphone charger in to, to sell on a bookstore because they would say this isn't a thing <laughs> or if you did it wouldn't sell anything so it's a very simple but important point i think so yeah, I, I think also that it's not that easy to to pick that up if you were doing the kind of research yourself. You know, if you if you were maybe Wayfair is simple because it's you know it's mostly home products, so get it fine. But if you look at the case of you know Real in Germany, maybe you wouldn't necessarily know the the products that they're looking for, and also like what their what their buyers are are looking for as well, because that's the most important thing. You want to make sure that you're matching your products with the actual audience that's that, that's you know viewing and, and browsing on the marketplace. So when you say buyers, by the way, I just want to double check that their marketplaces, they're not going to sort of buy off you like vendor central type arrangement, right? They're, they're expecting to be, uh, you're a third party seller on their marketplace. Is that normally how it works? Um, yeah, so I mean, that is normally how it works. Certainly that's yeah. how it works with with, with Real. With, with Wayfair, they do have the option of, of you being like a supplier, so like a, a, vendor, a vendor to them. 
but, but typically in most of the marketplaces where we're working with it's it's a third party you know third party seller and you're providing the logistics directly to the to the end end consumer again just to flag that up again because we've been so spoiled by amazon offering everything i'm mean, gonna guess even amazing fba that the name of my um, main sort of podcast implies that it's all about fba in other words amazon fulfills everything but of course all these marketplaces we're really mostly talking about places that will help you sell your products but will not take care of the fulfillment side right yeah well it, it's actually it's a bit of a mixed bag because in some cases they can take care of the fulfillment themselves they offer i mean let's use c discount in france it uh, it offers a fulfilled by c discount i think it's called or something you know very, very similar to this and that's their own fulfillment services in some cases, you, you're having to, to make the fulfillment yourself. In some cases, you can actually still use FBA and actually fulfill to fulfill non-Amazon orders through through FBA. So again, it's another thing that we will try to qualify, and we'll we'll, we'll just try to make sure that you're you're well matched for for whatever marketplace you're looking to potentially expand onto. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I so you've already got, I suppose, three options. Number one is using FBA to do non-amazon stuff number two is using the marketplace's own fulfillment capabilities i know uh, bold.com for example has that right they're, they're they're geographically very very focused in the netherlands and belgium actually weirdly enough belgium as well that the the flemish i.e kind of dutch speaking part as i understand so i've got a belgian client at the moment he's on bold.com <laughs> and um, because it's very geographically um focused they get away with one big sort of central warehouse but they still do good fulfillment that, that certainly is a different thing from say france which is obviously a big old country not as big as the u.s if you think of France as well, you know, they, they had a particularly kind of stringent lockdown this year. And I, and I think, from what I understand, there was a lot of problems with getting stock from the UK into France. If you're actually using, you know, fulfilled by C-Discount, fulfilled by Amazon in, in, in France, and your, your goods are already there, I think it gives you quite a big, big benefit, you know, over the, over the kind of summer months when, when, when the lockdown was in, in France and, and probably allowed you to, you know, really make the most of the, that e-commerce opportunity, yeah, during lockdown. Yeah, which raises at the other point, which is that there's more than one form of single point of failure. We, we've been talking about marketplaces in a, I suppose, generalized sense, but I suppose specifically a place to, to offer your wares as a third party seller to, to buy is one thing. But then having more than one logistics or one, sorry, fulfillment path, I guess, is also what we're talking about. We're having, even if you can do FBA, it might be desirable to have another option, at least one other option, right? So, that's yeah. a kind of classic bit of wisdom these days. But I still think it's one of those things where people kind of hear about it and think that's a nice idea. And I would argue that under COVID, it's probably a must-have idea rather than a nice-to-have, more, more than it used to be anyway. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Interesting topic. I think you'll agree. There are many, many opportunities out there. And what's interesting is that Chris has that overview you have when you're not either the seller or the marketplace, but in fact, somebody in between. I just point out that Payoneer are payment specialists, so they're not really in the business of trying to make money out of creating these relationships. Rather, it's part of their overall strategy, which I have to say is very smart, of creating goodwill and differentiation with their clients by offering them tons of extra services. So from that point of view, I would be very quick to contact them and I wouldn't be worrying about them trying to sort of sell you into something. Really their only requirement for working with people for their green channel partnership, as they call it, I think is, or green channel service rather, is really that you're a Payoneer um, customer and they do a very good service on their payment side anyway. And they also probably need you to be doing 
I guess, a substantial amount of revenue. So we're probably talking tens of thousands of dollars or euros or pounds a month rather than hundreds. So definitely worth checking out. Just go to amazingfba.com forward slash payoneer. That's P-A-Y-O-N for November E-E-R. And uh, you can check out what they offer as well. Next time, we're going to be talking with Chris. And the next episode, we're talking about international expansion. A very interesting topic as well. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.